Being twelve is being twelve is being twelve is nerve wracking. Hi, I'm Beth Furtick, and I'm Arun Vanigopal. And lately, we and our colleagues here at WNYC have been spending a lot of time thinking about one thing: what does it mean to be twelve years old today in New York City? I don't know how to describe it really, but maybe complete. Well, complicated, sort of. A roller coaster. Hmm. It's crazy. It's complicated. It's big. Yeah, actually, it is big. We've spent the past few months talking to a lot of kids. It wasn't a scientific poll, but we spoke to a diverse range of kids from all different neighborhoods and ethnicities. They all felt like being 12 is a really important age because they're going through so many changes. Now, puberty is a favorite theme for pop culture and TV shows. But the thing is, it's not just a punchline. When kids are 12, their brains are expanding at a, a pretty incredible rate. Their bodies are transforming, and all of a sudden, they're being faced with all these expectations at home and, of course, at school. And in New York City, they're learning to travel all over the place on buses and subways by themselves. We've looked at all these different aspects of being 12. It can be awkward. It can be fun. It can also be a little terrifying. Being 12 is difficult. This is Noah Shippy. I love building Lego and drawing. Noah's got moppy blonde hair and the full cheeks of a boy. He's a kid, but he has a way of looking at the world that struck me as kind of profound. It's difficult because you're learning all these responsibilities for the first time, and none of this has really happened before. Adults, they do it all the time, and it's really easy because they've done it a lot. But we're just starting, so it's harder. Over the last few months, we've been meeting with kids from all over the city, and one thing we've learned is this: twelve, perhaps more than any other age, sits right on the knife's edge, perfectly situated between childhood and the vast, uncertain sprawl of adulthood. Most kids, like Noah's schoolmate Ali Zandani, are just finding their way through all of this. It's really stressful at a, at a point when you have so much homework to do, and you just don't understand most of it. The scheduling, the time management. All right, so now I have to make an appointment with this teacher and go to this teacher and go to this teacher. Getting from point A to B, taking the subway. It's more freedomish, getting more freedom. Being responsible for your phone. Increasingly on your own. Then I have to go home on the bus, and it's dark and it's scary. It's getting late. There are shadows. Even seeing someone with a cigar in their hand makes you scared a bit. And on those occasions, Ali prays to God that he'll make it home safe. I hope God let nothing happen. God forbid something bad's gonna happen. All right, you may still be thinking that twelve is pretty much like any other year for a kid. Kids get scared, but this is when the human brain is changing more dramatically, more radically than at any other time since infancy. This is when it's making room for abstract thinking and higher-order reasoning. It's also trying to adapt to social demands because, after all those years of being enveloped by their family, kids are now wired to connect with their peers and are finally ready to move into the wider world. Just step into any school lunchroom. This is where the drama of becoming a young adult plays out. Well, this is where I usually sit over here, and that—that's like the jock area. I found Noah with his friend Ronan Janney sitting with some other kids eating their cheeseburgers. It's 10:15 in the morning. All of them are wearing green collared T-shirts, the uniform of Brooklyn Prospect Charter School in Windsor Terrace. We kind of like the 
middle people, you know, not the jocks and not the other people. He motioned over to the other side of the lunchroom, the far wall. The table with the most people, the mega table, they are really the most popular ones. So do you ever like to sit there? Noah and Ronan were kind of ambivalent. They usually just talk about, like, sex jokes, and it's really not very funny. Oh, I'm going to beep your mom. Ho, 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 it's so funny. They also kind of, like, gossip about people. That's pretty much all they do. And then when they get outside, they fight all the time. They just don't stop fighting. On the basketball court, he means, vying for the ball. All that goofy sex talk and raw aggression. You can feel these kids sort of trying on adult attitudes and affectations with mixed results. One of the big dramas here at Brooklyn Prospect came last year when a boy started expressing interest in a girl named Nawal Montezer. I think they didn't know how to approach a crush, and it kind of got out of hand. And this is Nawal. She kept telling the boy, no, not interested, but the notes just kept coming. Some stalking even. Uh, there was this time where they followed me, him and his like crew or whatever, and I did feel really uncomfortable. Cause so finally she got the grown-ups involved, shut it down. Nawal recognizes that this is a part of the balancing act of 12. On one hand, the world expects you to become more independent. Like, you're going to have to not be afraid to ask for help. And people did help me. That was one defining moment. The other came at the beginning of the school year. Her parents sat her down. They kind of talked to me and they were like, you know, we want you to wear the um, hijab. But She'd held off on wearing a hijab or a headscarf for a while, but she recognizes that she and her friends are growing up. We're looking different and people are starting to look. She also cares about her parents a lot, but she was worried about her friends, whether they would accept her. They did. They were just so kind and I just felt so loved. And I In a sense, Noel's been tested not once but twice been made to stand out from the crowd when many of her peers would prefer to blend in. These episodes have given her a sort of clarity. There's like fake people in the world and there's real people. People who um, understand and people who care. And then there's Noelle understands that this moment in her life, age 12, is just another phase. But it's an important one because now she has a say about what her values are, the people who matter to her, and the adult she'll eventually be. One of the scarier aspects of middle school is bullying. The New York City schools have a Respect for All program for kids and teachers to be on the lookout. The investigative journalism site BrooklynDeep.org asked kids in Bedford-Stuyvesant to interview each other about bullying. How does it make you feel when you get bullied? I feel broken down and not valuable. Why do you think bullies bully people? So that other people know that they're strong and to be afraid of them. Do you try to talk it out with the people who bully you? No, because then it turns into an argument and most likely a fight. I'm Alden Brown, interviewing... Damani. Have you ever been bullied? No. Have you bullied people? Yes. Not, not anybody from this school. It was, it was a lot of it last year. It really wasn't... I would, I would still say it was bullying because... We were still cracking jokes about each other, and I ended up hurting a kid's feelings. So I guess that still counts as bullying. I have bullied Jermaine before when I said that he has Ebola, and I really think that was wrong with me because Mr. Chase said that anybody that says um, Jermaine has Ebola, that they could get suspended. And I feel that I should have got suspended for that. (laughs) Why do you think they bully you? Maybe because some, it has happened to them before and they want to let out some issues 
or they just want to be funny sometimes or I think they bully me maybe because they just feel like it. Those are the voices of Jakia Brown and Autumn Brown interviewing Ashanti, Damani, and Douglas with help from Brooklyn Deep's managing editor, Vera Lynn Williams. So that's how 12 looks from the perspective of kids. Now we're going to hear what it's like from the other end, from the grown-ups who are given the sometimes impossible mission of actually teaching middle school students. Remember, we're talking about the most challenging, fraught years in the life of any American kid. It's not an easy job. So I want you to think, this is what I'm, we're doing this for. The seventh graders in Jason Borsella's class were supposed to be reading about slavery. I'm sorry. You and you and you are very rude right now. So we're gonna have but it wasn't going so well. Three boys kept goofing off at their desks. Head down, head down, and head down. We'll talk after. You're done. This was an especially jittery day at Amolier Middle School. The whole class was just distracted. Some kids kept whispering or getting out of their seats. Even the most dedicated students couldn't concentrate. Pack it up, you are dismissed. As the class was leaving, Borsella vented to another teacher about one student in particular. So ready to get rid of him and train him to kindergarten, I swear to God. There are times when seventh graders do seem like they belong in kindergarten. At 12 and 13 years old, they can be incredibly squirmy and childish, distracted by everything. But with the right push, they can also become really curious about the world around them. The next day, Borsella takes a totally different approach for his lesson about runaway slaves. I want you to be able to tell me how you would feel if you were a slave. There's no reading. They talk. A few minutes later, the kids are having a really thoughtful discussion about how white slave owners prevented rebellions through the use of fear. They're going to kill the whole people that tried to rebel against them in front of the whole white people, and it's going to teach them a lesson. It's going to get them scared, and they're never going to want to do it again. Okay, well, you just took everything that I wanted to say, and you put it all in one combined sentence. I really appreciate that. He's right. Borsella turned it around because he's learned something after a decade teaching middle school. Be like water. Fit the situation at hand. You have to be flexible, he says, because puberty itself is a state of flux. Seventh grade is a hot mess. You've got kids that are six feet tall and squeaking, and then you've got boys and girls that are barely four and a half feet. It sounds like chaos, but Principal Derek Spaulding says it's actually an opportunity. In the spectrum of adolescent development, 12 is really when you start to have that changeover. Spaulding is a former teacher who founded this school right in the middle of the Bronx back in 2008. He says middle school kids are still impressionable. They haven't disappeared yet behind the armor of teenage attitude. They're adaptable at this age. They, they come in with a set of ideas, but a, a set of ideas that are amendable and moldable to a degree. That's why Spalding says middle school is the last chance to keep some of them on track. Researchers have found that even a sixth grader who flounders, or who's repeatedly absent, is much more likely to drop out of high school. Awesome. What did Rosa Parks do? How did she boycott? She went in the bus. Emolier has developed a good reputation for its warm environment and high attendance, but it's got a tough population. Its 250 students are mostly poor and include a lot of immigrants and children with special needs. 
The school gives all 6th and 7th graders small reading classes like this to improve their comprehension because so many of them are reading at a much lower level. But 7th graders Kimberly Mahir and Shakewell Kabah aren't embarrassed. They say their English teacher really cares. Because he tells us to keep on working. Like he doesn't, like he makes it encouraging. Like he, he don't put us down. It could be hard, but it really doesn't seem hard when you ask for help. I heard this from a lot of kids at Amolier. As we left the reading class, Spalding said that's because honesty works with kids this age and builds trust when teachers push their kids to do better. That group right there, they were probably reading at a fifth, sixth grade level, even though that was seventh grade. And we call them pushables. Those are the kids that, with very strategic intervention, can get to that proficient level within this year. The idea that preteens need a lot of hand-holding extends beyond the classroom here. Teachers often pull kids aside in the hallway or lunchroom to talk to them about their attendance or behavior. She harasses the boys. The boys harass her. A few months ago, teacher Pamela Garrison and a guidance counselor were in an office with two boys spending the day in detention. Nobody wanted to provide any details, but it was over something involving a girl. Garrison had a talk with the boys. You're not supposed to touch a female, even if she's being violent, even if she's really being aggressive. What do you think about that? I'm not trying to say that women are weak, but men have more... More like they're stronger. Yeah, they're physically men are. As you might expect at this age, a lot of little fights and arguments involve boys versus girls. The teachers say that's because they're starting to show an interest in each other, but they don't know how to express themselves. They throw food at us sometimes. They um come over here, bother us. Angeli Marie is at a lunch table full of seventh grade girls. She says they don't want to sit with the boys. They um, like to throw airplanes at us when they get out like paper. They make airplanes and they throw it at us. Do you think it's some of them may have a crush on you and maybe some of you have a crush on them? No, no, nobody here. Please, oh my God. They can deny it all they want, but one of the boys admits he's often thinking about girls. Elijah Harper pulls his cell phone out of his coat pocket. I like this girl, right? She was like, she's just on my mind, the girl right here. Albert Gonzalez gets up close for a look. Oh, she's so beautiful. Can I kiss her? No. It's pretty hard for any teacher to compete with that. But that's what middle school is about. The kids really are distracted in so many ways. The payoff is huge, though, if you can reach them. One day, the seventh graders were lining up in the hall before heading to lunch when two math teachers decided to harness their crazy energy. They pitted the classes against each other to solve some problems involving fractions. One of those classes was 703, the same group with the behavior problems during history. Eventually, 703 won, and the other teacher wanted a rematch. My 702 challenge this class any day. For that moment, on that day, doing well in school became the most exciting thing for these seventh graders. At least until the next distraction. Of course, some kids are extremely focused, especially when they have a talent. This is Abraham Esber, a seventh grader from Brooklyn who is also a student at the School of American Ballet at Lincoln Center. I think I was eight when I first auditioned for SAB. SAB stands for School of American Ballet. 
What made me want to try out? My third grade teacher was teaching the whole class ballet, and he came up to my mom and said, he's really good at this. I actually quit soccer to do ballet. It's more challenging than soccer. You can't, like, show that you're having a hard time with it, even though it's really hard. You can't yawn, you can't scratch, you can't move around, and you can't talk to other people around the room. Me and my buddies, we, after class on Saturday, we all go to Central Park, and we climb the rocks, and we do parkour, and we run around. Because having all that energy during ballet and having to keep still, it just builds up, builds up, builds up, and then we go to the park and we just let it all out. The professionals are in the New York City ballet, but I consider myself semi-professional. In Nutcracker season in Swan Lake, it was really hard to finish all my homework and, and also come to the performances. You get $10 each performance, and so that adds up to $250, and that's a lot. And I just, I, I saved up, and I just got a computer, which I'm really excited about. You're listening to Being 12 at WNYC. Even the most focused 12-year-olds are still adolescent, though, which means they don't always make the best decisions. A lot of that has to do with their brains. For a long time, the poster child of adolescence was the teenager, in a car, smoking, drinking and driving really badly, while also somehow having sex in the backseat. But changes in the brain that lead to the famously bad choices of adolescence They don't start at 16 or 17. They start at around 11 or 12 years old and the beginning of puberty. We're going to hear now from two adults who've spent their careers asking why adolescents do what they do. Here's Corey Turner of the NPR education team. Let's start with an experiment. At Temple University, psychology professor Lawrence Steinberg and his team put a bunch of adolescents into an fMRI machine, a brain scanner, and asked them to play a driving game. Your perspective is that of a person behind the wheel, and you come to a series of intersections and um, the lights turn yellow and you have to decide whether to put the brakes on or not. Now, what do you think the adolescents did in this situation? Wrong. They did not blow through the yellow every time. When adolescents are playing this game by themselves, they don't take any more chances than adults do when they're playing it by themselves. And that's a big deal, Steinberg says, because the adolescent brain gets a bad rep for being consistently impulsive. His latest book, called Age of Opportunity, is an attempt to set the record straight. Being 12 or 17 doesn't mean you're hardwired to always make bad choices. Why, then, do adolescents make so many bad choices? To find out, Steinberg added a twist to his experiment. He gave his subjects an adolescent crowd. This doubles the number of chances that adolescents take, but has no effect on the number of chances that adults take. In short, an adolescent's weakness is other adolescents. And not just peer pressure. The mere presence of peers makes them less cautious. Adolescence is a time, really, when the brain is being marinated in gonadal hormones. Marinated in gonadal hormones. B.J. Casey is a neuroscientist at Weill Cornell Medical College, and she says much of the turmoil in the 12-year-old brain comes from changes in two places. First, the prefrontal cortex, one of the last areas of the brain to mature. It helps to link past experiences to the 
current situation and consider what the future consequences are of choices and actions that are made. The prefrontal cortex is our voice of reason. Steinberg calls it the brain's CEO. Casey likens it to this guy. The odds against you and I both being killed are 2,228.7. That is, of course, Spock from Star Trek. The rational person on the Starship Enterprise. And he often has to keep the passionate Captain Kirk at bay. Traitorous pig, I'll hang you up by your Vulcan ears. I'll have you all executed. I think not. Your authority on this ship is extremely limited, Captain. In Casey's analogy, Captain Kirk is the limbic system. There's only one thing I want to say to you, Commodore. Get my ship out of there. The limbic system is the emotional center of the brain, always on the lookout for threats and rewards. When it spots either, it sends a message to the prefrontal cortex. See, the limbic system can't make sense of these things on its own. It needs the prefrontal cortex. Kirk needs Spock. And here's the problem. For kids in adolescence, the prefrontal cortex is still developing, and it just can't keep up with the limbic system, which goes into reward-seeking hyperdrive, especially with other kids around. It's as if these emotional regions hijack the uh, prefrontal systems, and it leads to a choice that they make that's a bad one, and that they even know is a bad one. Which brings us full circle to that driving experiment. The limbic system doesn't just flag rewards in things like alcohol and sex. A 12-year-old gets a kind of high simply by being around other adolescents. They're wired to seek each other out and develop their social skills. In the short term, that means cloudy judgment and risky behavior. But adolescence is all about the end game. It's when young people learn to survive in a world of strangers, developing the skills they'll need to leave their parents, feed and protect themselves, and make babies. Obviously, today we don't want our 12-year-olds doing any of those things, but their brains don't live in the 21st century. For WNYC, I'm Corey Turner. And now, here's what's going on in the brain of 12-year-old David Chen of Flushing, Queens. The talent I got is, like, I could be loud and I could be, like, I have a bunch of energies. When somebody just want to see our spirits, I will be the first one to scream and the loudest to scream. Running is one of my favorite sports. I was born in America, but my parents are from China, so I'm an ABC. American-born Chinese, and it's meaningful to me because my brother is a Chinese citizen, and I'm an American. So my job is go home, and I could do translations. My father does construction, and my mother does... uh, I'm not sure what it's called, like, she makes clothes. And I remember, like, this once my mom was, like, so tired that she, like, fainted for a few minutes so that I have to take the subway to where she works in uh, Times Square. So then I have to, like, hold her home all the way. I was afraid, like, I would get kidnapped or something. But then we were like, wait, but there's so many people here. So if I just called help, somebody at least would help me. Mostly, if you think I'm childish, yes, I am still childish. I'm still a child. I still watch a big cartoon. Working with kids as they enter adolescence is really challenging. 
Here in New York City, teacher turnover is higher in middle schools than it is for elementary and high schools. And can you really blame them? Reporter Matt Collette talks to the few, the strong, the brave middle school teachers who choose to stick around. Lunch is over, and about a half dozen teachers are shepherding a few hundred students from the cafeteria back upstairs to their classrooms. Let's go! This is middle school, the land of square pizza, the start of puberty, and constant drama. It's not a place many of us would want to revisit. You could not pay me to be in my seventh grade self again. Um, I was the super dork. <laughs> yeah, awful. Middle school's awful. And those are actual middle school teachers here in New York. They didn't like it themselves. That last one there is math teacher Peter Schmidt. He's also a director of the New York State Middle School Association. And it's just a really awkward and difficult time. And I would not want to do it again. (laughs) If it's such a terrible time, and to pretty much everybody, it was, why do teachers return? Well, basically, there are three reasons. First, it's where the jobs are. Nat Hawks wanted a job teaching high school, except... Those are kind of locked. Those people keep those jobs for decades. Why I'm specifically in middle school is you can teach at a really good middle school. Hawks got a job teaching at Coney Island Prep, and it turns out he loves the work. That's not especially common. More than half of the city's middle school teachers leave the profession after three years. That's higher than at any other grade level. Hawks found his groove teaching middle school once he got to know his students. Yeah, you know, you do a little week of poetry and all of a sudden you know everything about everybody. As he learned more about his students, Hawks realized a lot of them were dealing with way more than just the regular stuff that already makes middle school so difficult. Oh, you came from Uzbekistan three years ago? Wait, when did you start learning English? Three years ago? And now you are reading Animal Farm and writing an essay on it? Which brings us to another reason middle school teachers stay. They love kids this age. Marianne Pirtle started teaching at IS-62 in Ditmas Park as a volunteer installing computers. Then she heard about an opening teaching English and decided to ditch her corporate job downtown. And how long have you been here since? Oh, this is my 14th year. (laughs) As her students begin arriving for class, she starts to transform. She's more energetic and way louder. Take out the work you did for homework yesterday. The Dropbox is now live. 15 minutes. And a third reason middle school teachers stick around is they found some approach that works. Everyone's a bit different, but there are definitely some archetypes. Take a teacher like Amanda Xavier. They know that I'm basically not the nicest person. That when I say no, I mean no. That's it. Mm, There is no playing around. I don't argue with children. Yeah, Xavier is the mean teacher, and she's proud of that reputation. Even so, kids try to get away with stuff all the time. They smack the kid next to them. They see you watching them smack the kid next to them. And then when you call them on, like, I didn't hit them. It's important for teachers to have some kind of strategy to deal with behavior and discipline, because middle school is the age when a lot of kids start to act up. Middle schoolers make up more than a third of all school suspensions, though they're only a fifth of the city's student population. Add to that, a lot of teachers get to middle school classrooms without specific training for working with this age level. Again, Peter Schmidt of the Statewide Teachers Group. Middle school ends up being like the sort of middle child of schools. It's only these three years tucked between elementary and high school, and it's sometimes just overlooked. And these three years are really important. Students who enter high school behind on their academics or with a track record of bad attendance are far less likely to graduate than their peers. 
Marianne Pertle and her colleagues consider middle school the last good chance to shape students in their approach to learning. It could go either way. They're either going to say, yes, I love school, or this maybe not so much. And it's a great age group because most of the kids, if you give them the opportunity, they just want to do it. That, it turns out, is really the most important thing about teaching middle school. It's a golden opportunity to make a difference, at least for those willing to accept the challenge. For WMYC, I'm Matt Collette. In New York City, about 13% of public school students are still learning English. That's almost 150,000 kids. One of these kids is Shamia Mim. She moved to the Bronx from Bangladesh about a year and a half ago. She now goes to Emolior Academy. That's a school we visited earlier. When Shamia first got to America, she worried that the other students wouldn't like her. But after a few days later, I saw that they're so good, like being good to me. There's just one thing that gets on Shamia's nerves. They doesn't use the scholarly like language sometimes. The profanity, not very scholarly. She and her friends also don't agree on the school rules. I raised my hand and told that I think the school should wear their own uniform. They was like, don't talk to me ever again. Shamia's views can be unconventional. She thinks that kids should listen to their parents. And that corporal punishment, something she'd grown up with in Bangladesh, kind of makes sense. When the teachers really get like mad, I think they should beat them like on the other hand and the other hand. Shimia still thinks of herself as an outsider. When she says that country, what she actually means is this one, America. And yet, stick her on a city bus, and sure enough... Oh my gosh, that was the stop. Back up! She is just as pushy as the rest of us. I'm sorry. For WNYC, I'm Arun Vanagopal. Shamia told us she also stays up all night watching Bollywood movies. Kids at 12 are what we call the digital natives. They often carry their own cell phones and use social media like Snapchat and Instagram. Increasingly, consumer brands are targeting these young people directly. WNYC's Ilya Maritz looked at marketing that targets tween girls. He says advertisers are trying to sound casual, funny, and caring, kind of like a girlfriend. Quick, name one awkward thing you could talk about with a 12-year-old girl. How about menstruation? Jenny got it. Then stupid Vicky got it. And I tried everything to get my period. Nothing. So I faked it. This video has been viewed more than 30 million times since it was posted on YouTube last year by the women's health company... We have to celebrate. Hello Flow. No, we don't. Oh, it's family tradition. We're throwing you a first moon party. And it turns out what was once embarrassing or even shameful... Is today something a girl and her mom can laugh about together? No awkward at all. I'm watching with Willa, who's 12, and her mother. We're at the kitchen table after school in Brooklyn. Willa wears black nail polish and gets good grades. When I got my period, I was definitely like comfortable talking about it with my friends and my mom and my sister. So for Willa... It's not surprising that it could be turned into something funny because it's already something that I'm comfortable with. Once upon a time, not so long ago, ads for pads and tampons showed images of women in gauzy garments doing yoga on the beach. Manufacturers left it to moms and big sisters to give young women the talk. Today, these brands speak to girls directly. 
Allison Kohler is with CBX, a branding agency that works with Kotex. This is the war room for Kotex right now. The Kotex war room is not much bigger than a closet. Kohler is showing me a stack of Kotex tween boxes containing pads and liners specifically for young women. First thing you notice, the boxes are not eggshell or lavender. They're black. Right. The black box makes a huge impression at shelf just because it's so unexpected. There are more surprises. The packaging is covered in doodles, like a girl might make in class. It includes factoids delivered in a breezy, casual voice. It is totally normal for some women to gain four or five pounds of water weight during their periods. No biggie. It should come right off. So not only are we delivering the facts, but we wanted to do it in a tone of voice that was friendly and uh, really felt like she was talking to a friend, not a brand. Kohler says this approach felt radical, even risky, when the first boxes showed up in stores in 2010. But then... Uh, first run sold out in two weeks. We knew that it was a pretty big success. There have been 12-year-old consumers for as long as we've been a consumer society. But it's only in the last decade or so that brands have started to talk to tweens as a distinct group. I see them trying to set up a customer from a young age who's going to stay with them for the long haul. Emily Long is with The Lamp, a group that teaches young people to think critically about advertising. One trend that troubles her, fashion and makeup brands that wrap themselves in a kind of soft focus feminism. Dove has a selfie campaign for tweens. Last year, an underwear brand, Airy, loudly proclaimed that it had stopped doing post-production on its photography. One ad read, the girl in this photo has not been retouched. The real you is sexy. It's still a construction. They're still creating a shot, putting them in costumes and lighting and makeup and all the rest of that. Just because they're not going back over it later on with something like Photoshop doesn't mean that it hasn't been manipulated. Aerie declined to give an interview. Now, the models in these ads are clearly older than 12. Aerie says it targets young women 15 and up. Its close rival, Pink, by Victoria's Secret, says it's for college-aged women. But Willa, our 12-year-old in Brooklyn, has shopped at both places. At 11, other girls my age were shopping there, too. I think that they might not know it, but I think that they target all girls. Oh, but the companies do know it. One recent study put the spending power of kids aged 9 to 13 at $200 billion. For WNYC, I'm Ilya Meritz. You're listening to WNYC's Being 12. And now Vicki Dorsley from Brooklyn talks about how her phone is a gateway to a world of ideas. Um, <laughs> yesterday, I said I was going to sleep at 1 o'clock, and I ended up going to sleep at 2.30. Mm-hmm. The thing is, when I, whenever I say I'm going to sleep, I just open my phone, and I spend the whole night on it. I landed up this video for some reason um, about meat, and I became a vegetarian for a while, and then I just turned vegan, and it was great, so yeah. Uh, I like his voice, and he's so cute. I watch a lot of science stuff, so this one time I was looking at gender roles, and then I found this song by Benny. When people try to step out of gender roles, people judge them. When women walk around shirtless, people judge them, but when men does it, they're like, okay, it's okay. So yeah. I watch animes, Japanese cartoons, right? So 
they're always like looking really good and cute. Oh, I love their fashion so much, and their culture is so amazing. I haven't met anybody like me except for Zena. She's my best friend. The rising tide of free online music has left the recording industry struggling to stay afloat. One of its few islands of profitability is tweens. There are 20 million kids in this country between the ages of 10 and 12. WNYC's John Schaefer explains how this group has become so important. Pop music has always been associated with teenagers. But in the late 90s, the music industry found an even younger audience when tweens started buying up acts like NSYNC and Britney Spears. But the real maturing, let's say, of the tween market didn't happen until another big name entered the fray. I think when Disney finally got into the act and said, okay, we're going to figure out about making pop music for kids, that seemed to really shift something in the culture. That's Tyler Bickford from the University of Pittsburgh, author of several studies on tween culture in the media. Disney was already a brand that parents trusted. Now they became a brand that kids went to for music-themed TV shows like Hannah Montana. That shift in the culture was seismic. American tweens now account for $200 billion. Yes, I said billion, with a B, of spending each year. Now, a lot of that is for video games and fashion, but about 10% is music-related, and the genius of Disney was that while they were building shows around singers like Miley Cyrus, their cross-marketing experience meant that they could use pop music as a way of selling merchandise, DVDs, and concert tickets. Outside New York's Beacon Theater, a crowd has gathered for a big multi-artist event. It's a mixed group, 20-somethings, teenagers, and a healthy representation of tweens, most with a parent in tow. 12-year-old Kayla is looking forward to the band called Echo Smith, a group of teenage siblings whose million-selling hit single is called... Cool Kids. I just, I think it's catchy. And many of her fellow tweens agree. It's something the band itself acknowledges carefully. Here's Echo Smith lead singer, 17-year-old Sydney Sirota. This song has reached so many different kinds of people. And, you know, there is a certain demographic that tends to like us number-wise more. But there are, you know, so many different types of people that come to our shows and tell us their stories. What she means is fans don't want to just be tied to tweens because if you want long-term success, you need broader appeal. So when Miley Cyrus and Demi Lovato began crossing over from Disney into the wider world of mainstream pop, they brought their original audience, now in their teens and 20s, with them. But they still knew how to reach the current 12-year-olds. Now here's one of the interesting things about tweens. They may have some money from gifts or babysitting, but a huge amount of the $200 billion they account for each year comes from their parents. Retailers call it the pestering effect. And it's why marketing to tweens has itself become a $17 billion a year industry. A lot of that marketing happens online because, as a quick survey of kids outside the Beacon Theater suggests... That's where they buy their music. Download. Just download. Just download. I just download my music. You may have noticed that most of those voices were girls. 
Here's the other big thing about the tween music juggernaut. It's driven largely by girls. Marketing experts know that girls tend to mature more quickly, engaging with the world and becoming bigger users of social media. That's how so many tween girls first met a young YouTube musician named Justin Bieber. Author Tyler Bickford says this kind of direct contact with the tween audience helps drive the continued success of some artists. Any 12-year-old can set up a Twitter account and tag Taylor Swift and might very well get a retweet or a reply. That's even more intimate than having her show up on Radio Disney or, or seeing her live. So the thinking seems to be this. Get the kids at 12... Keep them when they're 15, and they'll still be with you at 20 and beyond. For WNYC, I'm John Schaefer. Taylor Swift is known for her biting breakup songs, and 12 is when crushes start to get more serious. It's like, oh, who likes who, you have a crush on who, you're dating who. I kind of feel like there are different like cliques and groups of like people, like... This more happens, like, to, I feel, like, the girls. And it's just, like, where it starts all the drama, who's, like, your best friend, who's not. There's, like, um, a popular group that, like, some people identify with. But, like, really, a lot of my friends, like, we, we're not really part of that group. We don't, like, really, like, believe in cliques. It's just a lot of peer pressure and, like, dating. They're just like, oh, yeah, you and him look cute together. And sometimes it's just like, no, ew, it's just nasty. Every time I go to their house, I sleep over there on their phones, texting their girlfriend emojis, saying I love them, and I'm just, what the heck? Dating when you're 12 is like kissing, holding hands, making woman crush Wednesdays on Instagram. There are some people who are dating, but it's not like it's not like real dating. Like they they sometimes like go to a movie or something. <laughs> um, yes, I did have a crush on this guy. I'm afraid to even go near girls because. I'm afraid they'll laugh at me. It's just kind of scary being next to girls, even if you know that they like you as a friend or something. All right, despite all that you may have heard if you're a kid or had nightmares about if you're a parent, the fact is that very few kids are sexually active. Fewer than 2% of adolescents have had sexual intercourse by the time they reach this age of 12. That's according to federal statistics. Still, relationships consume a lot of time at this age. Deja Palmer is a top student at Tompkins Square Middle School in the East Village. She knows seventh grade is very important, but so is social life. This year in school is very important to me, but then there are other things that are changing in different ways, like everyone's dating now. What? Okay, you're introducing me now? Okay, hi, I'm Alex. <laughs> I'm Rian. My name is Skylin. Small flies. I'm at Out to Lunch in the Chinese restaurant, and I ordered a small fry and a shrimp roll. What's your name? Kevin. Why do you think about people being in a relationship at this age? I think it's all right, because you just got to try it, because someday you have to, and you're going to find the right person. 
Most of my female friends are dating boys, um, but I have a few female friends who are bisexual, so they like boys and girls, and I don't really know if they're serious about it or they're just using it, that excuse for attention. Okay, so how do you feel about girls who are bi? It's like whatever to me. It's like whoever is in love with who it doesn't, you know, as long as they're happy. Do you believe them when they say they are? Sometimes. It depends because some people, like, lie that they are just to, like, be popular, to fit in. I'm here with Alex. Hi. Okay, since you're a boy, how do you feel about when a boy says, oh, um, I'm okay with a girl liking a girl, but I'm not okay with a boy liking a boy? I don't know. I think that it's sort of stupid that people aren't, like, accepting, like, there are straight couples, there are gay couples, so, like, there's not really a difference. (laughs) I have a boyfriend. My mom knows about my relationship. All she cares about is that we're acting our age, and I agree. We don't talk nasty to each other or dirty to each other in a sexual way, you know. We hug, we hold hands. We have little moments, but it's not like we're making out and sucking faces and we actually haven't kissed. Javon, go take a bath. I'm here with Javon, who is my twin brother. We're both 12 years old. Hi, my name is Javon Parmer. Okay, so what's your intake on the relationships that go on in school? I feel a little, like, down because that my sister, he's talking about me. She has people that are attracted to her. A lot of people go to her. But some her girls don't really, like, say hi or sometimes, like, hang out with me. Well, don't you think that some of your friends don't talk to me? Yeah, but sometimes I feel like I don't really hang out with my sister a lot. Sometimes I just say hi. Sometimes I stand there. Some of my friends just push me away. So it was definitely a surprise when he, like, opened up because, like, that's not my brother at all. And I think that's... Another reason why I'm really happy that we have different friends because I feel like us having different friends helps him. I love how my life is now just because it's not like so much pressure and pressure in a lot of different ways like responsibility, higher expectations, and then there's the pressure aspect of relationships like that scares me because when you get older, people expect you to to act differently and think differently, and I don't really know how I'm going to change. Got me looking so crazy right now, love. Got me looking so crazy right now. Got me looking so crazy right now, love. Got me looking so crazy right now. Got me open, you save me right now, and that's being 12. Thanks for listening. I'm Beth Fertig. And I'm Arun Vanigopal. Our stories were edited by Patricia Willens with help from Karen Frillman and Beth. Wayne Schulmeister and Paul Schneider were our mix engineers. Special thanks to the WNYC Newsroom and News Director Jim Schachter and to all the schools and kids we visited. For more on Being 12, go to our website at WNYC.org. We've got a really amazing gallery of photos by Amy Pearl of kids all over New York City. And check out the video by WNYC's Jen Shu. 
You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll probably cringe. 